Merry Christmas again. Uh, so my family and I, we've been in, uh, we've been in Oahu for the last two weeks. And I know we were suffering. We were on a missions trip. No, I'm just kidding. We weren't. We weren't. And even if you do have a missions trip in Hawaii, you're not really on a missions trip. Isn't that right? People are like, oh, I'm going on a missions trip to Costa Rica. Like, yeah, okay, sure. But no, it's so good to be back. You know, um, we did a lot of cool stuff. We got to swim with turtles and go zip lining, and I got to learn to hula. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to tell this story because this has never happened to me before. On the very last night, so we were supposed to catch our flight back home on Monday, and uh, they changed our flight on us without notifying us. So we were getting ready to leave our house uh, to the airport at around 11 o'clock, and so we go to check in around 10 a.m. and discover that the flight left at 8 a.m. that morning. And uh, so we were like, oh, no, we're trapped in paradise for another day. What are we going to do? And so we got, a, uh, we got a night at a hotel in Waikiki, and we're up on the 28th story of this hotel in Waikiki with our kids. And uh, it's a beautiful view, and everything's going great. The kids are, you know, happy to still be in Hawaii. And uh, that night, you know, the kids did some swimming. We get them all tired, and we put them to bed. And they're fast asleep, and around 10.30 at night, the fire alarm goes off in the hotel, just like blaring loud, right? And uh, I, I bolt out of bed. I'm in my skivvies, you know, and I'm running out into the hallway, like trying to figure out what is going on. What's ha- is it just our room, or is it the whole hotel? It's the entire hotel is their alarms going off, and there's people poking their heads out like, do you know what's happening? I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. And uh, so, you know, I run into this lady, and she's like, yeah, the security guard said, just do whatever you feel like you need to do. And I was like, that's helpful, okay? <laughs> so I'm like, well, better be safe than sorry, right? And we go into the room, and the poor kids, they're just like burying their heads in the pillows, just trying to ignore the alarm because they're so tired. And so I just look at Christina, I'm like, you know what, I think we should just wake everybody up. We just got to go downstairs. And so I grab Leo, she grabs Viv, we wake the older two up, and we walk down in the dead of night, 28 stories. And Zoe and Gideon just did an awesome job. They had their champions. They walked down 28 stories. As soon as we get down to the bottom, they're like, okay, security says that it's clear, you're free to go back in. We're all, like, shirtless. You know, the kids are shirtless. We got no shoes on. We just, like, left, you know. And uh, by that time, you know, there's this line forming at the elevators because nobody wants to walk up 30 stories. And so we sat in line for another 30 minutes waiting for an elevator while our kids are just trying to fall asleep on our shoulders. And I just thought I'd tell that story because it's never happened. It's kind of a unique thing. And I remember thinking as I was carrying one of my kids down the stairs, this has got to make it in one of my sermons. Like, this is going to be a sermon illustration somewhere. And it just made it into one of my sermons, right? In a not-so-creative way. But, no, we had a great time. And, uh, you know, I'm so grateful for, for Glenn and Jethro, uh, who delivered the message in the past weeks. And I just heard they, they just had great words. And I'm so thankful for uh, an amazing team of volunteers who serve every single Sunday. If you don't know, we have a group of people who serve our kids every Sunday, and they're teaching, uh, they're teaching class right now. We have people who come early to make the coffee and to set all the, all the, all the pastries up and to, and to clean the windows and just to turn on the heat, make, everything, make sure everything's uh, ready for church. And so I'm just so thankful. If you're one of those people, can we just give it up for our volunteers who serve? every Sunday. I just so appreciate you. 
Uh, before we get into the message, I want to remind you of a few events that are happening. We have a ladies' Christmas event that's happening tomorrow night at 6.30. Come for an awesome time of fellowship with the ladies in our church. They're going to be doing some crafts, uh, some good food. Um, there's going to be an announcement for Bible studies. Am I right? And uh, ladies, if you're looking to just connect and, and to develop some good relationships, come tomorrow night at 6.30. It's going to be a great time. Um, we have a, Christ, a Christmas worship night happening next Sunday night, December 17th at 4 o'clock. We are going to be incorporating the children in our church. They're going to be singing uh, a couple songs with the band. And uh, we're going to sing some Christmas songs as well as just worship songs that give praise to Jesus. And just thank him for this season. And, and, and he's the reason for the season, right? He's why we celebrate. So come next Sunday night as we give praise to Jesus. We're going to have the full band up here. And um, a, a lot of practice and preparation goes into this. Thanks to Mary uh, Laffelbein. And we're just so grateful for, for her. Uh, lastly, uh, Christmas Eve services. We're on uh, Christmas Eve is Sunday, um, December twenty fourth, and we will not be having our ten a.m. service in the morning. We're just going to go to evening services. So there'll be a four p.m. and a six p.m. Come for traditional candlelight Christmas carols, the story of Christmas. It'll be warm and uh, and intimate. It'll be a wonderful Christmas Eve together. And then the following Sunday, which is December 31st, we are not having service at all. So nobody will be at the building if you show up on Sunday, December 31st. And the reason is just to give people, uh, staff and volunteers, just uh, uh, an opportunity to be with their families because they serve so well. Sound good? All right. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. You know... The Christmas season is probably, for me personally, one of the most difficult times to preach, me- preach messages. Uh, a lot of pastors don't feel that way. They really enjoy preaching around Christmas. But for me, uh, it, it comes down to just finding new ways to preach an Advent message, right? Every, every week we're supposed to be preaching the gospel, right? We talk about Jesus. And when the Christmas season rolls around, there's this pressure to talk about a Christmas story. And so uh, I've been thinking a lot this week about what I'm going to speak on. And, and um, we're going to be talking about intimacy with God. And if you've been to grow class, uh, by the way, today is the second Sunday of the month, and we're having grow class right after church. But if you've been to grow class, you've heard me say that our vision is for everyone in this church to be rooted in three soils. That my heart is that every person in our church would be rooted in the soil of intimacy with God. That they would have a vibrant relationship with God. Intimacy with God. That everybody in our church would be rooted in community with the church. That you are not a solo act. Your faith is not a solo thing. It's a community thing. And Jesus designed it that way for us to be in community with one another. And thirdly, that everyone in our church would be rooted in service to the world. That we would not just be about what happens within these four walls and uh, what's going on, what events we put on. But we would bless the community. That the community would miss us if we were gone and we serve the world around us. And so uh, our, our health as followers of Jesus is dependent upon these three things. It's dependent upon intimacy with God, community in the church, and service to the world. And this morning I want to talk about what it takes to develop intimacy with God. I spent some time on vacation reflecting on my relationship with God. And to be honest, I needed a vacation. 
I needed to get away because I've been feeling distant from the Lord. I've been feeling tired. I've been feeling confused and discouraged at times. And I hope that I'm not the only one. And if, I, if I'm preaching to myself today, that's fine, okay? But I've, I needed a vacation. I've been feeling these things. And through these feelings, I've been asking myself, what keeps someone in a relationship with God when they don't feel intimacy? When you don't feel God's presence and you don't feel close to him, what keeps someone going in their faith? And what is the key to coming back into that intimacy, to discovering that closeness once again. And so we're going to read somewhat of an obscure passage in the New Testament that spoke to me this past week. And it's sort of a Christmassy passage, I guess, because Jesus is still a baby. So I hope you're with me in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from the uh, English Standard Version today. Uh, verse 22. And to give you a little background uh, uh, about this verse, uh, Jesus is about 40, he's approximately 40 days old. And we know this because in the, in the passage we're going to read, um, the woman had to wait uh, 40 days. It was this time of purification uh, before uh, doing a ceremony at the temple. So there, Jesus and his parents are traveling to Jerusalem now about 40 days after his birth to perform three different ceremonies. Uh, the first ceremony that they're heading to the temple to perform is a purification of the woman 40 days after childbirth in accordance to Leviticus 12. So there's the purification of the woman. There's the presentation of the firstborn to God, according to Exodus 13. And the third ceremony is the dedication of the firstborn into the Lord's service, according to 1 Samuel 1 and 2. And so the significance of this is that Jesus had roots in pious, obedient faith. That his parents were devout Jews. They followed the law of God. They followed the law of Moses to the T. Not perfectly like Jesus did, but they did their best as devout Jews to obey God. They were, his parents were devoted and obedient to the law, which is, which is ironic. This, you know, these are just more clues that in the future we, hear, we read stories about Jesus and his arguments with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are accusing him of not obeying the law. And why do you break the Sabbath? And why do you allow your disciples to eat on the Sabbath? And, and, and so their assumption is that Jesus is not a devout Jew, that he's not following the law. But what we know is that Jesus has roots in this pious, obedient faith. And so they take Jesus to the temple when he's about 40 days old. He's just a little over a month old. Little baby, cute little baby Jesus. Sweet baby Jesus. Verse 22, it says this. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves. See, I told you it was a Christmas story. Turtle doves. Or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. What? And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. 
And he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36, And there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She, would, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Let me hear you say, all who were waiting. There's a few things that Simeon says here that might be a little confusing, and I just want to break a a few of his statements down before we go into the rest of this message. The first thing that he talks about is that he tells the parents that this child would be a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and glory to Israel. And so essentially what he was saying is that Jesus came to serve two groups, and we know this on this side of of the resurrection in the New Testament. That he came to offer salvation to the Gentiles, people who had never imagined it, who had never imagined salvation or oneness with God because they didn't have the law and they weren't under the covenant promise. And so they were excluded from God's promise of salvation. And Jesus came in to bring revelation, to bring hope to the Gentiles. That's you and I. If you are not a Jew, you are a Gentile, someone who is not a Jew. And so he came to bring revelation to the Gentiles. And he came to fulfill Old Testament prophecies by being Israel's Messiah and Savior. So he came uh, to fulfill those two roles. Then Simeon talks about uh, that this child will, will cause the rise and fall of many in Israel. And he's referring to how Jesus would divide Israel into two groups. That some would believe his message and receive the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ himself, and others in Israel would reject Jesus, and they would hate him. And his rejection and his ultimate death would be like a sword that pierces Mary's soul. He's talking to a mother's heart, right? He's saying, hey, mom, this is going to be a hard road ahead of you. Your son is going to be hated by a lot of people. And ultimately, he came to give his life and to die. And he was telling Mary that this rejection, that this this rise and fall of Israel is going to hurt you as a mother. What a thoughtful word for mom, that he would consider mom's heart in this moment. And then he says this, that the thoughts from many hearts would be revealed. What does he mean by this? See, the ministry of Jesus on the earth would reveal where the thoughts of one's heart are. See, Jesus is the salvation of God, and he is the expressed will of God. He is God 
in the flesh. When you look upon Jesus, you look upon God himself. And so essentially he's saying someone who is truly aligned with God will react positively to Jesus. And we, inscri- we see in scripture that that isn't always the case. That Jesus is, is God's will. He's his salvation. And someone's reaction to Jesus reveals someone's reaction to God. And we see in Scripture that the Pharisees believed that they had this great relationship with God because they followed the law. But how did they react to Jesus? They opposed him. They hated him. They, they made it difficult. They made his ministry difficult because they weren't truly aligned with God's heart. They were more concerned about their reputation and their status. And others who were aligned with God's heart, they received Jesus with openness. They received the message of salvation. The last thing I want to talk about that is mentioned is there's this, this phrase, waiting for redemption or waiting for the consolation of Israel. And did you notice that the two characters in this story who had, been, who had, who had recognized Jesus as the Messiah, they both had one thing in common. They both had been waiting on God to redeem The shepherds out in their fields were just watching sheep. They were going on business as usual. The innkeeper was probably trying to keep his guests happy. The Pharisees, they weren't waiting on God. They were more concerned about their status among the people. But those who devoted themselves to worship and prayer and fasting, those who remained obedient and waiting for God were the ones who recognized Jesus and experienced the joy of intimacy. What, is, what does this have to do with intimacy with God? If you're new to a relationship with Jesus, I pray that you hear this message today with an open heart. Because if you, if you understand this early on in your walk with God, your journey with Jesus will only flourish more and more as time goes on. So what does obedience have to do with intimacy? Our world is so fast. We live in this fast-paced world. Everything is moving at a million miles an hour. We're used to getting what we want when we expect it. We've got two-day shipping. We've got on-demand videos, which is great for the Christmas season. It's like, hey, I want to watch this Christmas movie. Everybody has it. You can watch it immediately. We've got fast food. They have your food ready in minutes. We've got Google searches. You don't know the answer to something? Google it. You're going to know the answer in about 30 seconds. We live in a fast-paced microwave culture, and our desire for immediate results, it, translate into, it translates into our spiritual lives. And we, we, we want to feel immediate and constant intimacy with God And expect our obedience to come as an overflow of that intimacy. For example, maybe you've had one of these encounters with God. And I hope I'm not the only one. But maybe this is you. Maybe God has asked you to do something really uncomfortable. Like to offer to pray for a friend or a neighbor who isn't a Christian. And maybe you didn't do it because you didn't feel equipped. Or you didn't feel close enough to God because you're struggling with your own problems and maybe you're thinking you don't have much to offer. The truth is you want to feel God before you obey God. You want to feel his intimacy before you obey 
his word. Here's another example. Maybe you've been struggling to hear God's voice, to discern his will for your life, or to feel his presence. And you know you should be reading your Bible. You know you should take time to pray, but you just haven't felt the inspiration. I just don't feel like it. No, you want to feel God before you obey God. And there's something wrong with that. Many times the reason someone leaves the faith is because they expected that when things got hard, they would always feel intimacy with Jesus. They think, well, Jesus wouldn't ask me to do that difficult thing. He wouldn't ask me to change my lifestyle or to rid myself of that unhealthy relationship. God just wants me to be happy. He wouldn't ask me to do that hard thing. But the reality is Jesus is not as concerned with your happiness as he is with your holiness. He wants you to be holy. There's a difference between perfection and holiness, right? That you have been justified when you said yes to Jesus. He, He washed away all your sins. He gave you access to God's presence. But you are in the process of sanctification, which is the process of holiness. The process of looking more and more like Jesus every day. And you will not be perfect until Jesus returns. But the goal is maturity. The goal is holiness, not your happiness. We often expect intimacy before we obey. But the opposite appears true in Scripture. Obedience, get this, obedience is the path to intimacy. Obedience is the path to intimacy. Faithfulness and longevity with God will bring more joy to your life than anything else. I promise you. Consider Mary for a moment who carried the baby. You know, what are the thoughts that a mother has when she's pregnant? I know that as a father, when my wife was pregnant with all of our kids, I thought to myself, what are they going to look like? What's their voice going to sound like? You know, what are they going to be interested in? And I can't wait to hold them. I can't wait for them to to tell me that they love me and for me to say it back that I love you. We long for this intimacy with our child, right? As we're waiting For this child to develop in the womb. And consider Mary who carried the baby for nine months before experiencing the joys of intimacy with Jesus. But before she could experience Jesus' tender embrace, she went through the pain of childbirth. Before she heard his voice and his laugh, she endured nine months of ridicule and humiliation. Because who's going to believe that this teenage girl... Got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Sure, Mary. But she was obedient. And she had to walk in obedience before she could enjoy intimacy with Jesus. She was faithful. And I just imagine the moment when Simeon, this character that we read about just now in Luke 2, who was told by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't depart this earth until he'd seen the Lord's Christ. He'd been waiting for this moment. I just can't, I just imagine the moment when Simeon took Jesus into his arms. The one-month-year-old savior of the world, God in the flesh. He gets to hold him. What an exciting and beautiful moment. 
that he had been told so long ago to wait for the Savior. And he waited faithfully and obediently his entire life for the fulfillment of God's promise. And his obedience led him into beautiful intimacy with Jesus. Obedience is the path to intimacy. People in touch with God's heart wait expectantly for the fulfillment of God's promises. So many American Christians are not willing to walk in obedience and faithfulness to God's word. We have lots of fanatic fans, but not a lot of faithful followers. Lots of people who get excited about oneness with God and the feelings of joy and love and peace with people. But when God asks them to do difficult things, because God will ask you to do difficult things, they're not willing to walk according to God's word because they want intimacy without obedience. One of my favorite bands is a British group called the Kooks. Anybody know who the Kooks are? I'm kind of a hipster like that. Years ago, years ago, I saw them live when they came to Portland, and I even took a picture with them before the show. There was a line wrapped around the building, and they snuck out the side door, and I, I nudged my friend. I was like, they're, they're right there. They're going to go get something to eat before the show. And we, like, tracked them down as those annoying people. And, hey, can we get a picture with you? And I got a picture with them, and we talked for a little bit. And, you know, I'm a fan of the Kooks, and I'm a fan of their music because it's made, their music's made me feel happy and carefree over the years. But, but I guarantee they don't remember taking a picture with me, if you were to ask them now. They don't know my name. They don't know who I am. Because I haven't spent any time around the Kooks. I could say I love their music and how it makes me feel, but I couldn't say that I know them because they don't know me. We haven't developed any intimacy. Let me ask you this morning. Do you know Jesus? And the best way to answer this question is by asking yourself, does Jesus know me? Do you know Jesus? Does Jesus know you? Do you spend time in the quiet hours in his presence sharing your heart and developing a history with him when nobody's watching. Does Jesus know your heart? Now, obviously, he's God. He knows you. But do you have that? In, you know what I'm saying? Do you have that intimate relationship with Jesus? And here's how Jesus said we can get to know him and develop intimacy with him. In John chapter 14, verse 23 and 24, he says this. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Jesus says that you cannot have intimacy without obedience. You cannot love him and not obey him. And sometimes obedience means doing difficult things without those warm feelings. But I promise you that the longer you walk in obedience, the more intimacy with God you will experience. It's a fact. Because as you draw near to God, he draws near to you. So here's three questions as we 
as as we go into this, I want to I want to I want to ask three questions today, and these are three questions to ask when when wanting more intimacy with God. If you're in this place, and maybe you've felt like me recently, you've just been feeling discouraged or distant from God, or you've been feeling like you haven't been hearing His voice clearly, and you are looking for more intimacy with God. Here's the three questions that we can ask ourselves that come from the story we just read in Luke chapter 2. The first question is, is my salvation in Jesus? Is my salvation in Jesus? Now, if your answer to this question is yes, then here is what this means. It means that shame is useless in this life. Shame is it's garbage. It has nothing to do with your life. Jesus has truly set you free. Shame is useless in this life. Nothing that you have done is beyond God's forgiveness. Here's what else it means. It means that you have the Spirit of God who is a well within you that will never run dry. And if you're looking for more intimacy with God, you don't have to go any other place than right here, right now. The Spirit of God is a well that's bubbling within you. And he's waiting for you to connect with what is already inside of you. You don't have to go to an amazing conference across the country. You don't have to wait for the latest prophet or whoever to come and prophesy over you. No, the Spirit of God lives in you. If Jesus is your salvation, you have a well that never runs dry. And that relationship is available to you at any time. Here's what else it means. If Jesus is your salvation, it means that you have faith, which is confident hope, that a life beyond this one is waiting for you. And at any moment, you may suddenly step into a life that is completely rid of pain and suffering. How many of you know that Jesus is coming again? And at any moment, we could open up our eyes and be in eternity with him. At any moment. If Jesus is your salvation, you can take hope that the pain of this life is temporary. That the suffering we experience in this world is not going to last. Because at any moment, you are going to wake up and be in eternity with him. And when Simeon saw Jesus, he declared that he had seen God's salvation. Jesus was his salvation, and it brought Simeon peace. He says, now your servant can depart in peace. He could now enter eternity having personally experienced that God keeps his promises. If Jesus is your salvation from sin and eternal death, then the response is not discouragement Or complaining, why don't I feel you, God? How come you're not doing this in my life? How come I can't hear your voice? That's not the response. The response is gratitude that leads to worship that results in intimacy. If Jesus is your salvation, then there is so much to be grateful for. And that gratitude will lead you into intimacy. Don't forget what Jesus has done for you. And allow that gratitude to propel you into a life of more intimacy with him. A second question that we ask, that we can ask ourselves this morning is, does Jesus define my life? Does he define my life? Simeon had been waiting his entire life to see Jesus. 
he knew he couldn't die without that one thing taking place. Meeting Jesus was literally the only thing on this guy's bucket list. That was it. I'm going to meet the Savior, and then I'm going to die after that. That's all I want. I just want to meet Jesus. And I, I, I'm part of the left-behind generation. Grew up in the, in the 90s, you know. And these books, Left Behind, anybody read those books or heard about those books, about the rapture? These books literally scared the hell out of me, church. They scared me to death. And I remember adding things to my list of things I would pray God would let me do before Jesus returned. Like, I'm a little kid. I'm, on, I'm in high school. I'm like, Jesus, just let me graduate from college before you come back. And then I would, Jesus, just I just want to buy a house. And Jesus, I just want to have sex with my wife before you come back. Come on, guys. If you grew up in my generation, you know what I'm talking about. Don't deny it, okay? If you grew up in the church, we're waiting for marriage. It was like, Jesus, I just want this one thing before you come back. Don't let me die like this. Don't let me die. How stupid, right? Jesus, I just want to see my kids' faces. I just want to walk my daughters down the aisle, right? These were the things that I needed in order to have peace when Jesus returned. And these things, in a funny way, they define my life. Now, I know it's silly. I know it sounds ridiculous. But we all have things that define our lives. I remember wanting to be more than just the average guy who got married and bought a house and had a steady job. I remember wanting to be an actor or, or some other famous person who rose above the average. And I wanted to make good money and go, some, go to some cool places and have some awesome experiences throughout the world. But what defines our life isn't about what we hope to experience or accomplish, but what we want others to place on our tombstone. And my tombstone better not say he traveled a little, he made some money, he was great at video games. It better not say that. Let me ask you, what things compete with Jesus to define your life? What things compete with Jesus to define whether or not you have peace? Is it your work? Is it your hobbies? Is it your addictions? Is it your relationships? What competes with Jesus to define your life? Now, I know a man who had it all. He had it all. He was the cream of the crop, but he considered his life to be garbage before meeting Jesus. His name was Paul. And in Philippians 3, he writes this. After... After writing a long list of all of his accolades, that I was a Jew of Jews, I was circumcised on the eighth day, and I, I had this, and I did that, and I was, I was educated, and I, if anybody has a right to say they knew God, it was me. Like Paul says, I had it all. But then he says in verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Meeting Jesus is what defines our lives as Christians. 
everything else is suddenly meaningless. It doesn't mean that your marriage is meaningless. It doesn't mean that your children are meaningless. We worship God in our marriages. We worship God by loving our children well, by raising our children to love God. But it all revolves around Jesus. Our marriage suddenly revolves around Jesus. Our parenting suddenly revolves around Jesus. Where we move and what we do, it all revolves around what God has for my life and how he wants to use me. When you follow Jesus, your life is defined by him. You give everything you have to him and surrender your life for his use because obedience is the path to intimacy. I know so many Christians who are not willing to give God that last 2%. They're not willing to surrender everything to him. They just give him some things or most things, but not all things. But Jesus defines our lives. The third question, the last question is Am I faithfully waiting for his coming? Am I faithfully waiting for his coming? There are so many Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. In fact, Micah 5.2 even says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And it was common knowledge for, for, for people. In fact, when the wise men came to visit Herod and they said they, they've come to offer gifts to the new king, Herod asked them, Uh, Herod brought all of his scholars together and they asked him, where's this new king supposed to be born? And the scholars told him, well, according to prophecy, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Like it was common knowledge. People knew that this is where Jesus was to be born. And you would think that someone would put up some watchtowers somewhere. Like you'd think that like there would be a guard rotating, like there would be people watching constantly. Okay, we know he's going to be born here. So let's just be ready. Let's have people watching and ready for when he's coming. But no, so many people didn't even recognize him. They didn't expect Jesus when he showed up. And the only ones to recognize Jesus were the ones faithfully and obediently waiting on God to bring the Savior. We have two examples in Luke 2. Simeon who says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel in verse 25. And in verse 37, we have the prophetess Anna, who she began to share God. She she had never left the temple. She prayed and fasted in the temple, worshiped in the temple day and night. And when she left, she shared God with all who were waiting for Israel's redemption. These two characters had been waiting for God to redeem. And so much of what we wait for in this life, think of all the things you can't wait to do. I just can't wait till I fill in the blank. I can't wait until I have a little bit more financial stability. I can't wait until I have this or I achieve this. Or We have so many things that we wait for in life, but they are things that will disappear. James 4.14 says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it just vanishes. All of our energy and time, the things that we hope for and wait for, they go into things that are just going to disappear. There's not going to be a U-Haul behind the hearse on your way to heaven. You can't take anything with you. What have you been waiting for? Are you waiting for a better job? 
a bigger amount in the bank account? Are you waiting for something to change? Just anything. I just need something to change because I feel stuck. I need God to just open the door, an invitation. I just need an opportunity. I'm just waiting for something to change. Or are you waiting faithfully for Jesus? Because he's coming again. Jesus is returning sooner than later. And that's in the eternal mindset here. He's coming again, and I don't want to be someone who doesn't recognize him when he returns. Waiting on Jesus drives us into intimacy with him because we want to be vigilant and watching when he comes again. I'm going to invite Christina to come up as we close. And I want to, I want to close by rereading the words of Jesus from John. In John 14, 23, I already read it this morning, but I want to read this again. It says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. But whoever does not love me does not keep my words. You know, this makes so much sense as a dad. Because I have four little kids, and when they don't obey me, they don't feel intimacy with me. They feel at odds with me. And one, one way our children show their love for us is by obeying what we say. It's a sign of trust that I just want what's best for you. So please don't go running out into the road. Don't touch that hot stove. I love you. I want to keep you safe. I want what's best for you. And one way that our kids show us their love at an early age is by listening to us, by obeying our words. Now, do I love my kids regardless of how obedient they are? Absolutely. So does God. He loves all of his children regardless of how obedient they are. But that intimacy won't be felt if they aren't walking in obedience. Now, if you've been struggling in your walk with God, maybe you've been feeling distant or discouraged because of unanswered prayers, my plea to you today is keep going. Don't stop. Don't give up. God will keep his promise. You just have to keep being obedient. And suddenly one day when you're alone in the quiet, God will speak to your heart and you will come alive again. And in that moment, you will realize that God had never abandoned you. He never walked away. He was beside you all along, but he needed to remove an obstacle or he needed to teach you a new way to hear his voice. And I can't wait for you to experience that. If you've been in this moment of discouragement and struggle, there will come a moment the eyes of your heart are once again open and you realize, God, you have always loved me. You've never let me go. You've always been speaking to me. I just didn't have ears to hear. Or I had something in the way and you needed to take it out of the way. Thank you for this season of, uh, of wrestling with my faith because it made me stronger. And my heart breaks for my friends who were born into the church, but they were never taught to stick it out. They were never taught to just keep going. That life is not always going to be easy. You won't always feel the presence of God. You won't always feel intimacy with God. It doesn't mean that he's not there. It doesn't mean that he doesn't hear you. It doesn't mean that he, he's not answering your prayers. 
Just keep going. Keep being obedient. Stay in the word. Have conversations with him in the quiet of your room or in the living room before the kids wake up. If you got young kids like me, be obedient and you will feel that intimacy. You will realize that he is always faithful when you obey his voice. And you will feel close to him, I promise you. Would you stand with me? Would you close your eyes? If you're in this room and I feel like some of you, maybe your hearts are just burning right now. You feel like that is me. You're talking about me. I've been feeling distant. I've been feeling alone. I've been looking for intimacy, but I haven't been walking in obedience. Can we just be honest? Because I'm in this boat too. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. There's there's hands all over this room. Keep your hands up. God, I pray for every person with their hand up right now. God, I thank you that you are teaching us something in this moment. That you're teaching us to surrender our preferences. That you're teaching us to surrender our comfort and our happiness for the joy of walking in holiness with you. Father, I pray that there would be a desire and a drive to be obedient regardless of how we feel. In a world that tells us, do what you feel, do what makes you happy. God, we say, no, we want you above all else. God, I pray that your voice in our head would be so much louder than all the other voices that are screaming at us in this, in this culture. And Father, in this Christmas season, as we reflect upon why you came and what you did, may it create a gratitude inside of us that causes us to run into your arms, that causes us to get closer and closer to you. I pray for shame to go away in Jesus' name, that there would be a repentant hearts all over this room. I feel like some of you with your hands raised, and we're gonna go into ministry time in a moment. In fact, I'm gonna invite the ministry teams up, but I feel like some of you with your hands raised, you need to repent. That there, there needs to be an, there needs to be an I'm sorry and about face. And, and I, I want you to feel bold enough to come to the front to find somebody on our ministry team and just begin to ask for forgiveness for, for only thinking about what feels right and, and, and wanting intimacy before obedience. But I, I pray that there would be a new dedication today to follow God regardless of how we feel. So if your hand was up, I just challenge you. That, that maybe you need to repent and maybe you need God to give you fresh eyes to see what he wants to do in your life. Keep your heads bowed. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, you have no, you've never asked him to live in your heart for him to be your Lord and Savior. And you can't say that he is your salvation. But today you want to say, Jesus, you are my salvation. If that's you and for the first time you want to say, Jesus, you are my salvation, would you raise your hand? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Let me see your hands. Raise them high. I see you here. Anybody else? Raise your hands. If your hands are raised, and in fact, everybody in the room, pray this with me, but if your hands are raised, just speak this in your heart. Jesus, I love you. Would you forgive me for my sin? I choose to walk in your way. Give me your Holy Spirit and empower me to do the things that you want to do. 
I love you, Jesus. I give you my life. I commit to community with your church. I commit to developing intimacy with you by being obedient to your word. And I commit to serve others around me. Thank you, Jesus, for a fresh start. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, church. I'm going to dismiss you. Christina is going to continue to play, but if your hand was raised and you need somebody to pray with, I just, I'm going to challenge you today to find somebody today to pray with so that some, some healing can take place. God bless you. We love you. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next Sunday.